Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Let's see how well you've been listening. We've been in a series called Moving Forward throughout the year. Let's see how well you've been listening. When you are in a mud hole, you never say, you, you guys are amazing. When you're in a mud hole, you never say, you want to, you're tempted to, you're, you're mired down in muck and mud, but you never say, whoa, because you don't want to be stuck there. You want to move forward. And that's what we've been talking about in this year, in this time, for this church, for me, for you, that we are moving forward with a great purpose to live for. God gives us that, a great passion to live effectively, great principles to live by, great people to live with, and great power to live on. That's the Holy Spirit. And uh, last couple of weeks, we talked about great principles to live by. And we talked about prayer and fasting, which goes hand in hand. These are biblical principles. These are things Jesus did. And I know that you would say, Mark, I would love to be more like Jesus. That's my goal. That's my aspiration. So pray and fast. And a lot of you are doing this right now. This is the month of fasting for us. And uh, some stomachs are growling. Some people are drinking coffee and they're going around like this. Some people aren't watching Netflix and they're going, what do I do? They're going like this, walking around like this. But you're taking that time you use for something else important to you to focus on God, this church, and your life. And it's so much appreciate uh, you fellows doing that. Now, when you go to uh, a, a, a live show of some sort, uh, usually you know, you're out in the audience with other people. And at some point, the lights go down, and out walks onto a stage, a performer, and a spotlight hits them. And the spotlight causes us to focus on them. All our attention is given to them. And, you know, as Christians, as leaders, as in, in, in our role in life, many times we are in a spotlight, whether we like it or not. I was once literally caught in the spotlight. I don't know if I told you this before. I think I have, but I was working with that uh, when I was a young guy, 18 years old. And you got to imagine I looked a lot different then. Uh, thinner, hair down on my shoulders, uh, young guy. I'm working for this, uh, this group who was, who was quite successful. They would play hockey arenas and football stadiums. I went to one of their shows. I, I would attend sometimes and brought my friend Grant with me and we were in the, in the audience. And uh, the, the band uh, wanted to make a big statement. So it's at a football stadium. Everybody's up in the bleachers, and the stage is out at the 50-yard line. And to make their entrance, they came out, this band, there's three guys, and they came out in three limousines. I mean, going to come out just in one, but no, three limousines. And as the limousines come out onto the field for the show to begin, the spotlight hits them. Everybody cheers. It was a great show. At the end of the show, I said, Grant, uh, I gave him a backstage pass, and I said, let's come with me. We're going to go back to the... Uh, back to, you know, backstage because that's, there's always some food there and we, we, we kind of celebrate and, and uh, hang out together. And uh, I said, let's go. And so I knew it was the last song. And so I ran out into the field, across the field, back to the end zone where this backstage was. And I didn't realize the band that came on with the spotlights was going to leave the same way. Suddenly, three limousines show up in the field and I'm standing there with Grant and the spotlight hits, not the guys in the limousine, but me. In front of thousands of people. And they start cheering for me. What would you do? 
<laughs> well, I'll tell you what I did. Well, I'll tell you now. You can ask me. 3,000 years before Jesus came, prophets began to shine the spotlight on Jesus. And they said, there's a Messiah coming. And he's going to come with power. And he's going to bring freedom. And it's going to be so good. And, and, and David, uh, we read about in the scriptures how uh, God told through many times of this Messiah coming in power. In fact, uh, he told David, the king gave it, of, of, of the fame of David and Goliath. He shared, he told them this. He said to David, when, and by the way, there's sermon notes there. I don't know if, you, if you're in the habit of grabbing them or not, but you're welcome to because this is where you're going to, I'm going to read from the Bible today. They're on there. For when you die, this is what God says to David, when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I'll secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, and he will be my son. So the people are reading promises like this. They're going to bring this Messiah on. We want this power. We need this freedom. But the problem was, as you know, they, they saw their power and freedom in context of what they felt their biggest need was, which was overthrow the Roman government. This government came in, overthrew them, did not like it, did not appreciate it. And they thought, well, this is how the Messiah will set us free. He'll become this political Messiah, and he'll overthrow Rome. But that was not the agenda Jesus had. His was not a political agenda. It was a spiritual agenda. And so, indeed, Jesus came with great power, but not the way that people expected power to look like. I mean, right off the bat, they should have got the message. He was the king of the Jews, but he was not born in a palace. He was born in a manger with animals, farm animals. His first human visitors were lowly shepherds. That's how they're described, lowly shepherds. Uh, the first years of his life were spent as, uh, on the run as a refugee. He had to flee to Egypt because Herod, the king uh, of the land, did not like the fact of another king being born. So he put out a decree, let's kill every boy two years of age and younger. When he began his public ministry at the age of 30, Jesus went back to his hometown, and they rejected him. Religious leaders ostracized him. And to get a group of disciples, Jesus could not go down to the Torah school like all respective rabbis did. He had to go to the lake and grab some fishermen. And even a tax collector. I mean, what are you doing? And among his followers were the kind of people that people whispered about and pointed fingers at and scandalized about. When Jesus came to announce himself as the Messiah, he comes into town not be pulled by strong horses with a mighty chariot, but toddling, toddling along on the back of a donkey. And he was arrested. He was put through a sham of a trial. And he was publicly executed. And this is the most powerful man who ever walked on the face of the earth. In the eyes of the world, Jesus did nothing that seemed like power. Like, what, what is this power? In fact, he did the complete opposite to them. At least it seemed that way. He would teach things like, the first shall be last. Huh? If you want to be great, if you want to be a leader, you must be a servant. He said, whoever wants to, to, to find his life has to lose his life. 
Whoever loses his life for my sake will find their life. And people are going, what? And then there's this one. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus lived by that principle, taught that principle, all throughout his life. In fact, one day Jesus is invited to, um, uh, to, to dinner with some of these uh, religious people who despised him. And he knew that. They are wanting to catch him doing something wrong. But Jesus went anyways because he want, I, think, I believe he wanted to teach him something about real power, the power of, of, of humility. So Jesus uses this opportunity. We read in Luke chapter 14, it said, When Jesus noticed that all who had come to the dinner were trying to sit in the seats of honor near the head table. Now, when you went to a formal dinner like this, the idea was, I, you know, I want to be in the spotlight. I want to, I want to be seen as important and, and that my life matters. And the closer you got to the head table, the more important you were. So they would be jockeying for position. They would be wanting to be sitting at the head table table. They want to be seen as others, by others. I'm successful. I'm a somebody. I'm important. <laughs> I think I did tell you this story, but I remember my, my friend, Pastor Dave, and I were in Los, or, uh, San Diego at a conference in January. And it, was, and it was beautiful weather for Canadian January in San Diego, Southern California. So we rented a car. We rented a Mustang convertible. And at the end of the conference, we had a few days. And I said, Dave, what would you like to do? What, what would you like to do for these few days? You choose. You decide. And he says, I've never been to Las Vegas before. So we said, okay, we're going to drive to Las Vegas, about a five-hour, four-and-a-half-hour drive. But, you know, we're, being, we're, like, we're, we're always kind of like, you know, I, I dare you. We dare each other. We're going to drive from San Diego to Las Vegas in this convertible with the top down the whole way in January. I thought, okay. I, I mean, it's nice down here. What we did not realize is there's mountains between San Diego and Las Vegas. I don't care where the mountains are. When you're up high, it's cold. In fact, I knew it was cold because there's snow on the ground. And the convertible top is down. We will not give in. I'm not giving in. I'm not giving in. I'm, not giving in. I'm going to do it. It was freezing. People are going by cars going. I kid you not, one family got their cameras out and took pictures of us. These crazy people in the mountains in a convertible with a top down. Don't they know the top goes up? But anyways, that's what I wanted to talk about. We walked, went to Las Vegas, never been there before, and I found, discovered this practice that I guess happens quite a bit that astonished me. There was a nightclub there, a famous nightclub, who was advertising for a large fee, you could come and party with Paris Hilton. I guess they would, they would pay someone like Paris Hilton a lot of money, come to our nightclub, and they'd go and charge everybody else a lot of money to come and say, hey, I party with Paris Hilton. And you get a selfie with her in the background. You can put it on your social media. And everybody goes, wow, like you are popular. You are cool. You are somebody. You are so prominent. And, you know, you are in the spotlight. You pay all this money just to make your friends go, wow. I, I hate to disappoint you, but I did not take up that offer. However, Dave and I did drive back to San Diego from Las Vegas with the top down. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. We did it. <laughs> um. So Jesus watches. People doing that, like just wanting to be seen, wanting to be popular, wanting people to look at them and go, wow, you're a somebody. And they're getting these uh, places of honor. And Jesus then says, he gave them this advice. 
when you're invited to a wedding feast, don't sit in the seat of honor. What if someone who is more distinguished than you has been also been invited? Has also been invited. The host will come and say, give this person your seat. Then what? You're going to be embarrassed and you'll have to take what, whatever seat is left at the foot of the table. Jesus is saying, it's probably not a good idea for you to go take the seat of honor because there'll probably be someone there more important than you are. And then in front of everybody, you're going to be embarrassed and asked to step down. <laughs> you're trying to be somebody in the spotlight. You're going to step down. Remember Muhammad Ali? Uh, not a humble man. Heavyweight boxer, loved to boast. He liked to say, I'm Superman. Muhammad Ali was uh, on a plane one day. The plane was ready to take off. He did not want to fasten his seatbelt. The flight attendant came by and said, Sir, uh, we're ready to uh, depart. We're ready to, to take off. Can you please fasten your seatbelt? And Muhammad Ali said, said this, Superman don't need no seatbelt. Flight attendant said, Sir, Superman don't need no airplane. He put his seatbelt on. If everybody could see that, it publicly ashamed. Like suddenly the Superman came. So Jesus goes on, he says this. He says, instead, you know, instead of being embarrassed and having to be asked to move out of the seat of honor, instead take the lowest place at the foot of the table. Then you, then your, uh, then when your host sees you, he will come and say, friend, we have a better place for you. Then you'll be honored in front of all the other guests. For those who exalt themselves, here it is, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. I, I remember in one of my churches, I've seen a great example of that, humble being exalted. Or a couple of brothers in my churches own this large trucking company, John and Jake, in their 70s, hardworking men, hardworking men, build it from like one truck to hundreds of trucks they had on the road. They had warehouses. They, they're in real estate. They sold real estate to Walmart and, and, and Home Depot. So they did very well for themselves. They were very well off, very humble men. And I remember the story I heard one day when um, uh, Jake, the one brother, was out in the warehouse you see, these guys, they, they, would, they had an office still there, and they would come. They still had to do all the signings. They were still the owners. Uh, but they, they, they still liked to do something. Like John was the mechanic, and, and Jake was the forklift operator when they were just this little company. And so Jake, he would still go out in the warehouse sometime and just get on a forklift and 70 years of age and start helping out. And one day, a man comes walking into the warehouse, sees Jake, the 70-year-old man, on a forklift and says, excuse me, I'm here to see the owners of this great big company. I don't know where to go. There's so many buildings around here. Where, where's the head office? And Jake said, well, uh, that's it right over there. It's this beautiful building. And the guy, this guy that was, had a meeting with him from some business, I don't know who it was, said, oh, yeah, that's where the owners would be. They would never catch, be caught dead out here working for a living. No, they'll be in the high ivory tower. And you here, this poor this guy working for a living, and they're over there just taking it easy. And Jake said, oh, thank you. And then he left. And Jake realized, oh, i got to go meet that guy. So he got off his forklift, went up to his building, went to his office, and they brought that guy in to, in, to introduce him to the two owners there to meet. And he goes, hey, aren't, aren't you the same guy out in the forklift? Yes, I am. And the guy's face apparently went. And, I mean, the humble, he, I mean, exalted. The respect he had for Jake, 
was amazing because he was willing to be not just an exalted position, but both of those guys would humble themselves incredibly. Because those who would exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And all of us would say, yeah, you know, I, I would love to be honored. I want to feel like I matter. I want to impact my world. And Jesus says, well, if you want to do that, the, the pathway to that is not found in ego. It's not found in being in the spotlight. It's not being proud. It's, it's, it's in the path of humility. Jesus taught us in the Sermon on the Mount, God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses means God will fulfill you. God will, will cause you uh, this joy and this happiness in your life when you're humble. In the Old Testament, if a lot of you, uh, or sorry, in the King James Version, a lot of you will uh, know that saying as the meek will inherit the earth. And meek is not a word we use very often anymore. In fact, we, meek has come to be equal to, meekness kind of means weakness in our society today, but in the original language that Jesus spoke, it actually meant the opposite. Meekness meant strength. Humility meant strength. And actually, the word talks about a wild stallion horse, a wild, strong horse who was, who was taken by a trainer, by an owner, and, and, and calmed down and put under the control of its master. While this horse is wild, there's no control. He resists taking direction, but when he comes under the control of the master, suddenly now he is useful to the master. He's still just as strong. Still just as strong. Now his strength is focused for the purpose of the master. Meekness or humility does not mean we become these doormats for everybody. Instead, it means rather it's, it's, it's taking direction from God. Meekness and humility is now saying, God, I will allow your Holy Spirit to direct me as you see fit. So the power of humility, uh, it comes is this, as our strength under God. So a humble person does not overact. A humble person is not driven by their own emotions. A humble person does not fly off the handle. A humble person is strength under control. So I want to look at just the rest of the message today, a couple of very real, tough ways of how humility, everyday humility, not just some kind of magic land, but art that we can face every day that will bless a man, that blesses a woman who was willing to break their strength under God's control. So here it is. First of all, humble spirit diffuses conflict. It de-escalates anger. A humble spirit, a gentle spirit, is the antidote to anger. And that's something I got to tell you, I have to, I've had to learn, and I'm learning. I picked two things that I can't, I'm not up here saying, I got this figured out, guys, come on, get on board. I'm telling I'm picking two things that, man, I can see how this is tough. So I'm thinking you might find it tough as well. Because when someone gets angry at me, I want to get angry right back at them. <laughs> you fly off the handle at me, I'm going to fly off the handle at you. You want to hurt me, I'll hurt you. You think I'm weak? I'm not weak. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to push right back. God said, let Mark got to talk to you. Yeah? Uh, that's not how I want one of mine responding. We tend to mimic the emotions of people in front of us. Did you know that? We know why now. We have these things in our brain called uh, mirror neurons, and they help us identify what's happening in front of us, and we mimic it. A good reason is when someone is uh, going through sorrow, we, are, we pick up on that and we can sympathize with them. Well, if they're enthusiastic, we respond with enthusiasm. 
However, when they're angry, we get angry. You yell at me, I'll yell at you. A humble person is one who does not escalate when one gets angry. You want to, you're tempted to, but the Bible says in Proverbs 15:1, a gentle answer, a humble answer, a gentle answer deflects anger. But harsh words make tempers flare. A humble person is, is one who's very strong, like the wild stallion, but they have come under the influence of God's Holy Spirit now, and so they respond differently as without, you know, with the Holy Spirit than without the Holy Spirit. They're now useful for God's purposes. That's what it means to be humble. God, you have control of this life. You are working in my life. I will allow you to control my life. Well, this is what I want you to do. I want you to give a gentle answer to deflect, to diffuse, to disarm anger. See, Jesus said, God blesses those who are humble. They will inherit the earth. In fact, a few verses later, Jesus in the same sermon says this, God blesses those who work for peace. They will be called the children of God. Those are my children, the ones who are peacemakers. In Galatians 5, it teaches us a person who lives without the Holy Spirit in them. It's evident because suddenly they show these things. In Galatians 5, it says this, that when a person does not have the Holy Spirit working in them, they become divisive, there's dissension, there's division, there's outbursts of anger, it says in Galatians 5. That's how you know this person is not under the influence of God. But Galatians 5.22 talks about, well, if the Holy Spirit is in you, it produces this kind of fruit in your lives. Remember? Love, joy, peace. And as a kid in church, I love singing a song. If you're my age, you might remember this. I've got peace like the river. I've got peace like the river. Remember that? I've got joy like the fountain. I've got joy like, I've got love like the mountain. I've got love like the mountain. And then you would say, I got peace like the river. I got joy like the fountain. I've got love like the mountain in my soul. Makes me want to love everybody. Makes me love everybody. That's what a humble spirit does. You got peace, there's joy, there's love, and God can use you when you love people. The second thing is this not only does it disarm anger, a humble spirit disarms critics. The more successful you are, the more critics you're going to have. Now, if you want to be criticized, just don't say anything. Don't do anything. Don't be anything. And you're going to be all right. You're going to be fine. I've never heard, you know, we talked about at the very beginning about a show. I've never heard uh, uh, an audience being critiqued at a review. It's always the people in the spotlight. So how do you respond to someone who sees it as their spiritual gift and their duty to criticize you? When you choose to respond to your critics with gentleness and humility, it disarms them. In fact, it actually disappoints them. That there, there are people who are actually, I'm learning, addicted to anger, and they will lash out to you, expecting you to respond like the same way. I'm angry, you know, you get angry, good, that's fuel for my fire. 
Anger is like a fire burning in them. And they're looking for fuel. Give me fuel for my fire. I want to reel you in and take you in because I got you now. You're responding the same way I'm giving to you. And I'm going to take you in and got you. Use it, use it for all that I can. Psychology Today actually spoke about this in an article in 2015. It says, what happens is that anger can lead to similar rushes as thrill-seeking activities where danger triggers uh, dopamine, dopamine um, reward receptors in the brain or like other forms of addiction, such as gambling, extreme sports, even drugs like cocaine and um, metaphene. How you say this word? I practice this. I do it every time. I get in front of people. I can never do this, both the syllable words. Say it. Yeah, that's good. See, yeah. Anger can become its own reward like other addictions. The final consequences are dangerous and real, and people follow impulses in the moment without regarding the big picture. So this is recognized as an addiction. And those people burning in fire, uh, they, they're looking for some fuel to burn their fire. Will you be the person? I'll yell, y'all, scream, you will get anger. If you do it back, oh, I got fuel for my fire. So you need to decide. I'm not giving you any. I'm not giving you any fuel for your fire. And how do you do this? Well, the Apostle Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 4.13. We appeal gently, there's that word again, gentle, when evil things are said about us. We don't escalate with them. We don't get back. We don't get even. We appeal gently when evil things are said about this. I learned this advice as a young pastor, and it's worked. When someone comes and they're angry, they're upset, and they're just going, Whoa! I've learned that you just uh, you let them go. Let them talk. Just burn all that fuel. <laughs> let it go. Because uh, if you try to respond, even if you're totally right, it doesn't matter. They're not listening. They're upset. They're way up here. And if you're right, you're, they're way up here. They're not listening. So you just, you just let them. I've done that. Let them talk, 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 talk. Suddenly the fuel burns out and they calm down. They said all they had to say. They relaxed. And you can talk to them gently and humbly. Another good piece of advice I heard is that we walk around with two buckets every day, one with a bucket of water and one with a bucket of gasoline. When someone confronts you, you decide what you're going to throw on it. The gasoline keep fueling what's happening or water and put the fire out. Gentleness and humility is putting water on someone's anger. I would like to be able to tell you that if you decide to be a leader in the church, that you would never be criticized. <laughs> You'll always be uplifted. You'll always be encouraged. People always come along and, and, and want to just help you. But I know once you step in the spotlight of leading, they'll become those who always feel like it's their right and their gift to criticize you. And you know, as a servant of the Lord, we're forbidden to quarrel. When someone wants to argue with you, we are forbidden to quarrel. You are, you are uh, required to be kind and possible. In fact, we read this in uh, 2 Timothy. Paul gives this advice. He says, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone. Be able to teach and be patient with Difficult people. Do you know them? Don't look at them. Don't look at them. There's the word again. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn 
the truth. The problem is our natural response. My natural response is to respond to the anger being given to me. And I think you know, the reason why people criticize you, I really come to believe this, is because they're deflecting the spotlight off their trouble, their problems, their shortcomings, and putting on you. As long as the spotlight's on you, I don't have to deal with my stuff. Just remember that. Next time someone criticizes you, oh, I wonder what they're going through. Pray for them. But know this, God will defend the humble. Psalm 147, verse 6, the Lord supports the humble, but he brings the wicked down in the dust. I came across a passage this week. Oh, I got it here in Numbers 12. Amazing, amazing passage talking about Moses, who God said, you know, I'm, this is my servant. I'm calling Moses. He was a reluctant leader. He wasn't looking for the spotlight, right? But God said, no, I'm going to use you. I'm going to fill you. I'm going to cause you to take my people out of Egypt and set them free. And we know that Moses had this tough job because all the time he's being criticized. People are complaining and whining all throughout that journey. And in Numbers 12, we read this. I love this passage. It says this. While they were at Hazroth, Miriam and Aaron criticized Moses because he had married a Cushite woman. They said, has the Lord spoken only through Moses? Here comes the criticism. Has he spoken through us? Has he spoken through us too? I want the spotlight. But the Lord heard them. Now listen to this description. Numbers 12, verse 3. Now Moses was very humble. More humble than any other person on earth. So immediately the Lord called to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and said, go out to the tabernacle, all three of you. So the three of them went out to the tabernacle. Then the Lord descended in the pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance of the tabernacle. Aaron and Miriam, he called, and they stepped forward. The Lord said to them, now listen to what I say. If there were prophets among you, I, the Lord, would reveal myself in visions. I would speak to them in dreams. But not with my servant Moses. Of all my house, he is the one I trust. This is God talking. I speak to him face to face, clearly, not in riddles. He sees the Lord as he is. So why are you not afraid to criticize my servant Moses. In other words, you shouldn't be criticizing. Why are you doing this? Why aren't you terrified going, I'm criticizing God's leader? And the response was this. The Lord was very angry with him, and he departed. It's very important to understand. I'm not up here saying, guys, I got this figured out. Come on. Get on board. Be more like me. I'm learning those two points. There's some things I've done really well. I've grown really well. There's some things I'm still learning in. That's why I got Pastor Dave to talk on fasting. I am not as, he's much more, has much more success in fasting than I have. So I said, Dave, you got to preach this message. It's okay. But some things I, I, that I've got really, I've really, I've, I've been successful in. Other things are still a journey. And I think you would agree with me. I, you could be the same way. Yeah, I got these things, and I'm still growing in so many areas, and there's some things that are harder for me, more challenging for me to do. And I bet you that being humble, responding to anger and criticism, maybe just two of them. What I love about this 
that this is relevant teaching from God's Word. You're going you're gonna to face these things this week. You might face them today. And you will use it. There, this is an important teaching because you will need it. And you'll have to apply it to your life. When you use it, when you apply what God says here to your life, he, Jesus says you're going to find more blessing, more fulfillment. The word makarios, you're going to be happier, in the original language, than just staying in that default mode where you respond in angry outbursts with ego, with pride. You're not going to be as well off. I'm just telling you, I'm God. Now the worship team come. <clears throat> I want to pray for you because I believe, like me, you can say, you know what, I can, um, yeah, I can connect with this. In fact, you know what today we're going to do? I'm going to be in the prayer room after. I'm going to be there with Glenda, and Lauren's going to come. If you need prayer for this or for anything, I would just invite you to come into our prayer room. We're going to pray for you today. I don't want just to be a message go, okay, done. If you need follow-up in anywhere in your life, we're here for you. I want to pray for you. So remember that after the service, come in the prayer room. I'll be there, and Glenda and Lauren as well, and we're going to pray. Father, we just want to pray right now because <laughs> you teach us things that don't seem to jive with our human nature. The first will be last. Like, you want to lose your life, you have to gain. Uh, you lose your life, you have to, you know, you're gonna you you're gonna find your life. You got to lose it. If I if you know the real power is in humility, I don't hear that. I watch TV. I don't hear that. But God, I see you. I see you, Jesus. And you did things that the world would say was not a powerful thing to do, and yet you were you did you've changed the world like no one else has. And you did it through being humble and gentle. And Father, I pray that for us today, as a church who wants to move forward, as a people who want to move forward with great people, that we'd be great because you live in us, that Galatians 5, we would, uh, it would be described of us that we have the fruits of the Spirit, not the evidence of our sinful human nature. So Lord, would you cause us to remember these words that you spoke about our humility, being under your control, that you can use us. You can use the strength that we have for your purposes. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m., and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at The Gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.